Welcome to Pulling Weeds, a podcast of the Carolinas GCSA. We'd like to remind you that the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of those of the people on the podcast and do not reflect the views of the Carolinas Golf Course Superintendents Association or any of its sponsors. Back here at the Volunteer Tent, we're very fortunate to have two industry veterans stop by. Dr. Burt McCarty, Clemson University, Lawrence Mudge, Howard Fertilizer. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you so much for coming by. My pleasure. Sure. Thank you. So, Dr. McCarty, let's get some agronomy out of the way real quick here. Right. You, you walked around a little bit out there at um, Quail Hollow mm-hmm. Club. It's a really good example from what I saw of what taking a year off of overseeding can do for POA control. Boy, aren't you correct about that? Uh, that's what first thing Lawrence and I noticed was the lack of POA. We were trying to figure out why. Uh, and then we bumped into Keith Woods uh, right before this podcast, and he told us taking a year off is what did the trick. And they were able to clean it up, and you could sure tell it. Sure can. Yeah, seems like the Simazine application after many, many years of it not being out there made a huge difference. Oh, sure. And, and that's the case for a lot of different places. If they're willing to rotate or wait or do other things to help beat down the pole before you go back to overseas. Yeah, and it looks like even just one year can make a huge difference. Well, it did for him, and uh, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's, you know, this has been the worst poor year we've had probably ever, and so uh, it's just clean as a whistle here, it, more or less. It's it, just it, amazing. It's amazing how well it looks. It Fantastic. It is. It is top-notch, absolutely, and my first time ever being here, so it's eye-opening in many ways. Yeah, and, you know, they've been overseeing this thing, you know, 20 years or whatever, how many years it's been. And so they've got a good poor population built up over the years. And you're right, that one year taking off and using smart uh, herbicide strategies has paid off for them. You think we can get to a point, Bert, where we can talk people into doing that? Well, obviously, if you go to a course like Quail Hollow, it can be done. But... When you go to a tourist-based golf course that feel like they've got to have just prime conditions throughout, you know, winter and spring, it's a harder sell. Now, but we're getting to the point now with polo, we run out of options, and that might be one of the options courses go just have to consider skipping it once every three years or whatever it might be. Lawrence, what, as director of agronomy with Howard Fertilizer, what, what are you guys doing on your end to help with POA control or just weed control in general? Well, for my role with Howard, um, we're always thinking about programs and alternatives because we've got such an issue with POA resistance, and we, we have limited herbicides. We're dealing with old herbicides, old modes of action. We really need some new chemistry. It would help out a lot. But we don't, so we're dealing with what we have, and, and I've been talking to Bert McCarty and Fred Overton and these guys for a long time, coming up with alternative programs and rotations and tank mixes, because it's a huge problem, a really huge problem. It is. And I, I want to add, phrase mowing for some people may be an option. Uh, and, and some, you know, it's obviously a very unique situation because it's going to shut the course down for six or so weeks. But, again, we're getting desperate times, and that might become an option, at least for some courses. It is interesting to do that and how that works. Well, uh, for example, we phrased mow all our sports fields at Clemson last summer. And, of course, it beat them up pretty bad. But this spring, 
just like here at Coral Hollow, it's almost no pole plants on the sports field. So it can and will work if you can shut down for six or eight weeks to do it. Or if you're doing a renovation, that's a great yeah, time oh, to sure, do sure, it. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah in, t- in time you could break, you know, break the normal maintenance, which that obviously would do. You got to take the seeds of that opportunity. And I, I want to add, we had a good opportunity this year. We got so cold, everybody, at least in the Carolinas, basically went stone dormant that had Bermuda grass. Courses who took advantage of that dormancy by using non-slip herbicides then obviously hit a curve. Ones who didn't do that, you know, they're screaming in my and Lawrence's ear right now on what to do. So <laughs> you got to take you got to take the opportunities when the window's open. Just got to do it. Yeah, you said it. Uh, I've heard you say it several times this winter and spring that uh, if you didn't do a non-selective yeah. this year you made a huge mistake well I, you know a huge mistake might be a little over dramatic but certainly you missed a grand opportunity let's just put it like that i mean even of courses down in georgia i would say even north florida they had enough dormancy they could have come back with a non-select and made the course look fully uniformly dormant and then also got a poise so you kind of kill two birds there yes and, and some courses were uh, very good and very diligent on doing, taking advantage of those kind of situations. Some just sitting there and say, uh, I don't know. And then come March and April, they're screaming about the polar populations. I know in my career, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we didn't have these big issues we have now with polar. It's all changed. Um, and again, due to lack of new, new modes of action, we're just, we, get, we, we use these products over and over and over and We've just got so much of a resistance issue everywhere. Um, it's just, and, and I will say the same thing about goosegrass. We we're talking about poa, but goosegrass is the same thing. We've got goosegrass we can't control. We got resistance to various different modes of action, and it's becoming another huge problem. Yeah, lurking behind that is nut sedge and clingus. So, yeah. lots of challenges out there, obviously, in the turf world. Yes, yes, there are. Or right. opportunities. That's how you got to look at it. We just need some new new products, new modes of action will really help. Dr. McCarty glufosinate, are we seeing any resistant with it with its use yet? or? I don't think so. Now, glufosinate is a contact-type herbicide. Now, contacts tend to work much better, just like most herbicides, on smaller plants. Now, when guys wait to treat, say, for example, poa with glufosinate, and it's already tillered out, or produce sea heads, then the glufosinate typically just been in contact herbicide probably will not stone kill those plants dead. Uh, they burn the tops, but if you look down the crowns, generally still a green. What rates of glufosinate are you recommending? Is it, did you drop them this year a little bit? Well, it depends. Um, and I keep say, hate saying that, but how green or not green your mutagrass is. Obviously, if it's green, if you wait to March, or even some people April, then you gotta drop it down to, and there are different formulations out there, but about a half a pound active uh, per acre. Now, if you did it back in January or early February where everything was pretty much dormant, then I would go with a pound active. And so, that generally is gonna get even the bigger plants. Uh, but having to drop the rates later on just to not bang up mutagrass, then some of the bigger clumps probably will escape. I would say this with glufosinate, it's kind of a relatively new product we're using now. It's been around for a long time, but 
we were relying on Roundup for many, many years, and we've got a lot of Roundup resistance and pricing and all that's made a, a has that impact. So, Blue Fox Snake, Bert, wouldn't you say he's relatively new? Sure. To, I would say is within the last two years, really. Yeah, it's really, the use of Blue Fox Snake has gone up a lot. And Lawrence brings a good point. Of course, Roundup's been used for decades. It's got one mode of action. Glufosinate has a totally different mode of action. And I also recommend Diquat at certain times, which has another mode of action. And even Flumioxin or SureGuard has a different mode of action. And it all can be kind of non-select on POA if you get it at the right time. So you got four different modes of actions. You potentially could rotate and certainly delay that resistance from occurring for many, many years. Considering the Ronstar or um, reductions that are forthcoming, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you think that SureGuard's going to be able to fill some of those voids? Well, company hopes so. Uh, uh, it's just at this point we don't have all the questions answered on, on SureGuard. Uh, it's looked good in my trials some years, oh, drier years in particular, but once those year, in the years that we do have heavy thunderstorms earlier than normal, then it tends to fall down a little bit. And so still a lot to be learned about that product, timings, rates, uh, durations, uh, and the company's looking at some different formulations to try to reduce some of that variability. So, you know, since the Ronstar uh, restrictions are coming down, the companies are really trying to ramp up, trying to figure out how to get some of these other products to possibly uh, be a replacement. Yeah, we have... I guess around two years to figure out what we're going to do yeah. without the, uh, without Ronstar and SureGuard, with X, they're calling it StayGuard or fertilizer. Could be a good uh, alternative. We just don't know yet. We got a lot more to learn about how to use flumioxazin on fertilizer. We're not we're not there yet, but we're going to get there eventually. Is that something that's going to be similar to Ronstar, where the the, the impregnated granular formulation is going to be safer on turf? Well, the company's hoping that, as well as more consistent as far as its longevity or release periods. Uh, but like Lawrence just mentioned, uh, still a lot of details working on uh, on that end. It's definitely something we're going to have to explore, though, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, uh, sure. It, it, it appears, some of the data I've seen, it looks pretty good on POA. So that would be good to have another mode of action. Uh, it looks better than Ronstar on POA. Now, the question is, is it as is it good as Ronstar on Goosegrass? So those are the kind of the details we got to time will tell and enough trials and getting it in the hands of users to see what it really does. So yeah. we, got, we just got a lot more to learn. Uh, I got my fingers crossed. Yeah, and it's a shoot inhibitor instead of a root inhibitor, right? Well, that, and of course, you know, we just learned about Ronstar restrictions here not too long ago. And so these companies are having trying to adapt. And, it, you know, it's just not easy to do this overnight. So it's going to take a couple of years to figure out the details that Lawrence was talking about. Very good. Any other herbicides that are coming down the pipeline? Well, I mean, we're always trying things. Uh, probably the one that most probably will reach the market uh, in, a, in a somewhat near future is one with a, the common name Cumuron, and the proposed trade name is Katana. I mean, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Sumerai. 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 Sorry about that. Uh, Sumerai. And so it's an old, old herbicide in a sense. It's been out for 50 or 60 years, but very new to turf. And so uh, it looks good as a pre-emergent poa uh, on greens, on bent grass, 
as well as in overseeded situation. And so that's good. We don't have too many new herbicides that we can overseed into and not hurt the overseed and yet get poor control. And this one has that potential. But we're probably still two years away before that's going to make it to the market. And so that's why, like Lawrence was saying, we're just trying to find new ways to get old products to work until hopefully some new modes of actions uh, do uh, are developed and released. Here's another interesting, interesting uh, new product that's on the market now. Syngenta's got one called Recognition, um, which is really interesting because it's monument, basically trifloxy uh, sulfuron plus a safener. And this safener safens monument to uh, St. Augustine grass. So down in Florida, you can now use monument with the safener and get your control sedges and other weeds. But the real interesting thing is this safener also safens fusillade uh, on zoysia grass. So now you can mix fusillade with recognition at high rates of fusillade and control Bermuda grass and zoysia. So for the zoysia guys, that's going to be a big thing for those guys. And also safens fusillade on St. Augustine. So these safeners are used extensively in agriculture. Now we're getting getting them into our world so that's uh, pretty neat stuff do, do the two of you think that zoysia grass will become more prominent in the next 25 years in the carolinas in the southeast yeah i think so i mean uh with shade issues uh that bermuda grass faces <clears throat> excuse me off types other issues with bermuda grass uh and they've seen success of zoysia in other areas like kansas and oklahoma uh, it will. I don't know if it's going to overtake with meter grass, but I think you could see more of it being used uh, on golf courses and, and from Teeter Green. Yeah, I think the, 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 the golfers really like Zoya. Yeah. It's just it's a beautiful surface. Well, it's a beautiful grass, and the ball, because Zoya is a stiffer grass, sits up higher. So, obviously, <laughs> the high handicappers like myself like to have that uh, ball sitting up for, for a better shot. Yeah, and just takes a little bit more maybe some more fungicide inputs <laughs> yeah. on well, fairways well i mean any all grass has got good points and bad points and zoysia is no different and so that and that's one of the weak points is you know brown patch a large patch can be a problem uh but again we got products to help overcome that too yeah lawrence we have a lot of tools now that we didn't have before yeah. you're absolutely right on that on that side it's kind of going the other way than the herbicides Bert. yeah well, these things come and go in circles. You know, 15, 20 years ago, we were in the golden age of new herbicides. Well, they finally rotated out, and now we're in the golden age of fungicides. And so hopefully the, from a herbicide point of view, the pendulum will swing back toward the herbicides in the next five years or so. Yeah, Lawrence, I think, uh, I, think I can remember you uh, talking to me at one point when Revolver came out. Yeah, exactly. That was big time, wasn't mm -hmm. it? Oh, yeah. It was. Uh, that was many years ago, but, yeah, um, we got – a lot of new fungicides, really good choices of fungicides. Uh, we just need, we definitely need more herbicides. We're, we're so reliant on ALS inhibitors like Revolver, uh, Metsulfuron. They're great herbicides, but we just, they're overused. We, we desperately need some new modes of action. Speaking of um, a while back, you two gentlemen known each other since high school. Yes. Well, the story of that, we went to Boy State together. Uh, in high school, which we were juniors in high school, and we were in the same city. That's how they break down to different sections of Boy State. And so Lawrence and I 
I got a picture of Lawrence. We had long hair, <laughs> weighed a few less pounds. Yeah. Same thing with me, but uh, uh, we laugh about it. You know, it's, it's hard to imagine we've known each other that long. But we went to undergraduate school together, went to graduate school together, have worked in the business for the last 35 years. So it's just one of those things that uh, we've known each other for a long time. A long time. Did y'all think way back then that you'd be here today? <laughs> no, oh, no, no. I mean, Lawrence thought he'd be in the tobacco patch forever. Yeah. And I thought I'd be going back to peaches. That's what I kind of grew up. Yeah, yeah my, my career started out in agriculture. Yeah. When I got sure. out of school, I was on the ag side. Uh, I grew up on a farm. And I did the ag side for was probably six, seven years. And I had the opportunity to switch over to the T&O side. And that was early 90s. So I've been there ever since. Yeah, and I knew I liked ag. And I grew up in peaches, like I said earlier. But peach is very expensive unless you go marry into it or inherit it, which I was going to do neither one. I knew I couldn't go back and afford to be in the peaches, but I want to stay in the ag-related business and, you know, playing sports and everything. I just gravitated toward turf. Bert finished up in school. He went to the University of Florida, so we kind of lost track of each other a little bit. We saw each other a few times at bowl games. We're both Clemson fans. And, uh, and Bert, you came back to uh, Clemson, when was that? 1996. Yeah, sure did. And then I moved to Clemson in 05, 2005, so we, we kind of got reconnected, go to lunch a lot. <laughs> I learned, I still learn a lot from him. I was uh, going to say, uh, probably always, some good information in those lunches if you're yeah, interested in turf grass management. Yeah, I call Bert a lot. Well, we have a lot of coaches' sessions, so <laughs> lose the football game, we got to do some coaching there, <laughs> Monday morning coaching. That's important, too. <laughs> and, I'm Bert, and I'm Bert's chauffeur. I drive him around to meetings and – you know, I'm, I'm his driver, it seems like. Yeah, but you do more than that, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> do you like getting out and doing the field days and, and visiting people, Bert? Oh, sure. I mean, uh, uh, that's where you learn or how you learn. And that's how you stumble across things a lot of times, things that people try and, and it happens to work for them. And so that gives me ideas. Well, I can go back and probably refine what they did or try it and maybe make a uh, few adjustments. Might even hopefully make it better. But, yeah, you got to get out and, and not only obviously meet the people and talk to the people, you look at the problems, possible solutions, try to figure out what's coming in terms of trends within the industry. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoy doing that. We had a big field day last week in Florence, and uh, you know, I spent several hours speaking at that. And so uh, those are always very uh, educational as well as entertaining. Absolutely. The, the Florence Field Day was, your presentation was really solid, and I uh, appreciate that. Well, when you got a never-ending topic like POA, you could talk for days on that. Maybe not cover it all, but uh, you could talk for days. Yeah, but the, some of the stuff about the more obscure weeds that you went through, the Virginia well, sure, buttonweed sure, and sure. just uh, the chart that you made with the best option for each problem, mm -hmm. I mean, that's handy. Oh, it sure. reminds me of the pest control manuals you used to put out through the university. Well, we still do the pest control manual, but what you saw was a much condensed, consolidated, straight to the point on how to, to control specific weeds like you mentioned, vagina, buttweed, or tropical sitting grass, or torpedo grass, or sedges, and, and kalingas, and was poor and goose grass. And so uh, I find those obviously very handy and I know the end users do and so I, I try to keep something like that up all the time uh, on what I would suggest for them to look at uh, using for those particular problems. Your books have uh, been very influential to me over the years. Are you going to continue to write? 
Well, yeah, I'm working on one right now. Uh, hopefully have it out here next month or so. Uh, probably so. I, I, I like writing books. I know people sit there and they roll your eyes, but it forces you to learn the subject matter forwards and backwards. It forces you to learn it forwards and backwards. And so, obviously, books are a lot of work. People don't realize that. But it does force me to learn things, cover topics I may not be as familiar with, look at problems I may not be fam- that familiar with. So uh, it, it, it sharpens your senses when it comes to business. And so that, that part of it is a great aftermath of writing books. You know, Lawrence, you mentioned him, his time at Florida, and um, I always liked that best management practices for Florida golf mm-hmm. courses. That was a good one. Yeah, it's the very first one. Yep. Uh, uh, Monica Elliott and I wrote that back in the early 90s, and that was way before most people ever heard best management practices. And actually, Dr. Ed Freeman, who was a plant pathologist, the one who suggested to make that name. And so uh, we wrote one at Florida, the very first one we've done for the Carolinas in, in both golf as well as sports fields and so I think those have been real handy not that it told the superintendents or turf managers that much new but it gave them ammunition when they needed to tell members or Greens committee chairs or whoever uh, what it takes to maintain turf and it really opens the eyes up to those guys who aren't that familiar with the business on what it's going to take not only money-wise, but labor, equipment, supplies on down the line. And so that, that those are pretty good from that point of view. And that was the time when that information wasn't in, anywhere was, but in a book. That's exactly right. Now, of course, the Internet's changed all this. But uh, still, if you want to learn, uh, of course, you got to work, but you need to get books and study them because that's how you could not only learn it today, but when you need to refer back to them, then you're very familiar with the subject matter and where it's located in the book, and you go back to it pretty quick. And there's three editions of your golf course management, right? Correct. Uh, the last one I did was five years ago, so I'll probably work on that next as far as the book. But, I mean, that, you know, that's a 700-page book, uh, probably 500 photographs, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not something you just throw together overnight. No. And so... Uh, I'll probably start working on that next year. It's just a lot of coordination with the other authors, too. A lot of coordination with other authors, reviewers, with the editors, with the associated books. We're out there marketing people, it, it's lawyers, I mean, everything else. And so, uh, it's, it's like I said, it's just it, it's almost like manage a tournament. <laughs> you got a lot of things going on at the same time trying to, to, trying to get this end product. The book I really like that he did is the Weed ID books. Those are I use that all the time. Yeah, they, the I, you know, Weed ID. That's something I've always liked. Um, it, you know, I've been around the world uh, putting books together on various weeds you find throughout different uh, situations. And again, it forces you to learn the weeds. It forces you to study the biology of the weeds, where they occur. Uh, how they occur, if they occur, and hopefully that give you some ability to manage them without having to use herbicides to at least some degree. Uh, but you got to know what you're dealing with, and so uh, being able to identify these weeds, and because I get some pretty, pretty rough samples sent to me, uh, these books help me sharpen those skills. And Lawrence, your technical bulletins that Bayer used to put out—I know you were involved with those. Right. Same thing. Those are 
you know, were always really great pieces of information and things to, and, and pamphlets to learn from. Yeah, yeah. Did you enjoy being involved with that and writing yeah. those? Oh, absolutely. And, and as Bert said, you learn the subject matter because you're writing a document that's got to be accurate. So you really, and I've done quite a few of those with Howard as well, and um, I enjoy putting them together. Uh, I hope they're useful. I think they are. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, of course, I always change it. Or updating, maybe that's a better term. Uh, and new problems always cropping up. Uh, Lawrence was showing me one yesterday on Tall Fiscu, uh, trying to distinguish between gray leaf spot and brown patch. And from a symptom point of view, very similar looking lesions that each one of those diseases cause. And so, uh, obviously, it's, it's a challenge just to figure out what you got sometimes. And that's what these pamphlets help clarify. And a good example will be when this Ron Star regulation takes effect and golf courses are limited to 30% of their treated acres and we got to come up with some other solutions, other options, and what are they going to be? And it's, it's going to change a lot. So we all have two years, whether it's companies or university people like Bert or people like me, we all we got two, basically two years to come up with different options for, for, for our customers. And... Um, and as Bert said, there's a lot of companies thinking about it. Well, and there's other products that could be used that may be not as good as Ronstar, but in a program, they may be good enough. So it's, it's, it's definitely going to change. Well, I, along that line, I also write an article for Turf Talk with Carolina Greens. And this last issue, uh, I wrote an article about alternatives to when Ronstar restrictions take effect. Lawrence helped review that for me. And... You know, there's no right or wrong or best or worst answer, but, you know, we got to start facing realization. You're not going to be treated water wall or run starting. So you got to pick and choose your hot spots in terms of goosegrass and then go to alternative areas, where you, uh, alternative products where areas aren't as heavily populated with goosegrass. So we got to start thinking differently than just treat water wall. We just don't have that option anymore. A lot of testing is going to have to take place. Yes, yeah, sure will. Evaluations on different Solution, potential solutions and um, it takes time and money yeah we can't just sit back and rely on on chemical control either can't we we have to we have to keep forging ahead with like the phrase mowing mechanical yeah. control and other methods uh, uh, I'm involved with several other of my colleagues uh, and throughout the south on a big federal poor management grant right now and probably the phrase mowing is one of the bigger more practical things to come out of this grant showing something non-chemically related just like you mentioned that can work now it's not for everybody but if you have the right situation and you can phrase mow uh, it can really significant some of you click catch the clippings or, or, or the excavated material you can really put a dent in your poor populations at least temporarily in, in your golf course and you're still recommending Bert that um even when, when spraying three to four AIs, still rotating the products. Yeah, uh, Lawrence and I have been working on programs that contain two or three AIs, but then the next year try to rotate to at least one or two different AIs. Uh, and again, that's just what it takes with resistance to try to stay ahead of the curve. You, you can't, even with two or three AIs in the same tank, use that same tank over and over and over again got to rotate some other AIs in and out of that mixture. Right, but for the fall spray, you are got to stay with Simazine. Well, uh, 
Fat Lawrence and I and Fred Yelton sitting here in Charlotte five years ago, whatever it was, mm-hmm. and we started coming up. We knew this resistance was about to raise this yep. ugly head. And Lawrence just said, guys, we have to come up with a different way of thinking about our poor programs. And we just sat around and hashed it out. And so we, we just ditched our traditional pre-treatments back in September or maybe in August, depending on where you're located, and really let the poor go ahead and germinate, which a lot of it's gonna happen in, in, in most Octobers, and then hit it when it's young in November with two or three, four different modes of action. We think that's a more efficient way to go after the poor. And not that that program is perfect, nothing's perfect, but I think it's more efficient. And then when you start tank mixing two or three different modes of action this year, then you could take one or two of those out next year, which points well taken. Simzine is still the backbone in a non-overseeded Bermuda grass scenario uh, to go at the poor. But you need to have other components in with it. Yeah, definitely rotate between sure, your spectacle sure. or your, and your DNAs. Yeah, your DNAs, right. your spectacle, curb. Yep. Uh, your sulfonylureas like Revolver or Monument. And so it, it's going to take probably multiple applications. Like this past year, we had record rainfall for the month of December, January, and February. Well, all the DNAs are no longer with us. <laughs> and so <laughs> we have massive poor germination in March and April, which we normally don't have. And so, and, and then we stay cool. And so it's a never ending target to try to hit, no doubt about it. <laughs> I would think companies like BASF, Inview, Sagenta, eventually will develop products that have multiple modes of action, because that's, that's what we gotta do. So now we're tank mixing products. So why not just develop a product that's got them all in there? And yeah, sure. similar to Echelon. Well, that's just, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, that's what's happened in row crops. You know, they got real bad palmer amaranth resistance. And companies that know they just can't use their products. They've got to use competitors' products in tank mixes or rotations or sequences of applications to go after that particular weed. Well, we're facing the same scenario with Poana. And so I think Lawrence is correct. Uh, it's, it's not a one product, one company solution. This could be multiple. Yeah, it's across the board. I'm, I have several farmers that are friends that are farmers back in Iowa. They always complain about water hemp. Oh, yeah. That that's yeah, really yeah. a, a that's really bad um, that, resistant a, weed in corn. That's yeah. amaranth. And so yep. Yep. that pigweed or amaranth family is just killer. Fortunately, in turf, it's not a bigger problem because we can control it with by mowing. But we got poana, and so we have our amaranth and poa, and it's like we were joking yesterday, uh, the poa is the COVID of the turf world. And that, yeah, I think that's a pretty good way of describing it. I'll tell you a real quick story. My master's degree at Clemson was dinitrogen resistant goosegrass, and this was in agricultural settings. And what was going on, these farmers in South Carolina rotating crops, corn, soybeans, tobacco, but the herbicide mode of action didn't change. So they selected out a resistant goosegrass biotype, and there was goosegrass all over these fields in South Carolina that was resistant. Wow. Yep. Well, gentlemen, really appreciate y'all coming by. Oh, sure. Um, uh, again, if you haven't been to this tournament, may I come? Beautiful facility. Of course, today's a beautiful day. Uh, just, just top of the line. It underrated. I didn't realize what a good spectating golf course it was. It is. Yeah, it, it, is. Really it is. is. It really I've is. I've been to many, many, many PGA Tour events, and um, 
they're not spectating wise. They're all not. They're not all created equal. And this one is a good spectating course. It's good. Lawrence has walked around this morning. And you got plenty of hills to overlook the play and art stands. If you want to go sit in stands, and you're correct, very good spectator, spectating uh, tournament. Sure is. And I'll just say a shout out to Keith Wood and his and his group yeah. and all the all the volunteers. This place is amazing. This button up. It is. It's been. Uh, it's my first time ever doing this, and it's uh, been impressive to watch. Well, it's amazing. It's just all the moving parts. It is. And we've been talking about. You know, it's not just a golf course, but then all the parking and, and, and traffic control and safety and, of course, catering and, and bathrooms. <laughs> it's a, a never-ending story. All the TV stuff. All the, yeah, all the, all the media stuff. It, it's just uh, amazing so, what it takes. Yep. Well, on behalf of the Carolinas Golf Course Superintendents Association, thank you, gentlemen, and thank you for everything you've done for the industry. Oh, sure. And thanks for having us and help us share some views. And, again, come out to the golf course if you can. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Pullin' Weeds, a podcast of the Carolinas Golf Course Superintendents Association. Be on the lookout for the next episode of Pullin' Weeds coming out soon. For more information on the Carolinas GCSA, please visit our website at www.carolinasgcsa.org or call our office at 864-843-1150.